Okay. Good Friday service. When I was asked uh, to do this, I I was at first a little reluctant. Normally, I love to teach, but I'm going to be honest with you. Today, I just feel a little nervous. So we're going to pray one more time. And we're just going to pray just for the spirit of the Lord to move, that it would not be my words, uh, but that it would be God's word, that he moves today, that he is uh, magnified. So if you would, one more time, if you would just join me in prayer. Father, we pray again. God, we can't pray enough. So Lord, we pray, and I just pray specifically, uh, Lord, just over my words, that it would be you who is speaking. God, I pray that you would just calm nerves. I pray, Lord, for all of us here today, that whatever burdens that we may be carrying, whatever weights or worries or concerns of tomorrow that we may have, God, we give them to you. We lay them at the foot of the cross. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So my kids and I, who are over here, and they will ask me about this in about an hour, Oftentimes, when we are going on a road trip somewhere, they will start to ask questions. And questions then begin to morph into, if you've ever played that game, 20 questions. And then 20 questions start to turn into what seems like 20,000 questions. Can anyone relate to that? And sometimes it gets to the point where I feel like I'm on trial. I'm like, I am just driving you guys to SeaWorld. Why do I feel like I'm on trial here? Parents, a lot of times we can feel like we've been put on trial. But what we're going to talk about today is just that. We're going to see in our text this morning that Jesus went on trial. He, as a matter of fact, that Good Friday 2,000 years ago, Jesus endured two trials. He first endured a religious trial by Annas, the religious leader, and Caiaphas, the high priest that year. And then he also endured a secular trial, a trial by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And we're going to see today that despite the findings and the verdict of those trials, Jesus still was sentenced to the cross. And the question that we have is, what were the purpose of those two trials that Jesus faced? If you have your Bibles, our text today is John chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse 28. And it says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early in the morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Verse 31. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, and he called Jesus and said to him, 
are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Verse 37, then Pilate said to him, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. For everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate went out and said to them, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went to the Jews and declared, I find no fault in him. And that concluded the secular trial that Jesus faced that morning. You see, the Jews had a problem. Under Roman law, they had no legal authority to execute anyone. Rome reserved that right, so the Jewish religious leaders needed to involve the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, in their plot to kill Jesus. And what's so interesting is that in their so doing of involving the Roman governor in their plot to kill Jesus, they were unknowingly fulfilling prophecy. King David prophesied a thousand years earlier that the Messiah would be crucified. Zechariah prophesied how the, that the Messiah would come at this time. And, and as they, as, excuse me here, as the Old Testament prophets prophesied how the Messiah would die and at the time that he would come, the Jewish religious leaders were simply confirming who Jesus already claimed to be. And the time of year was the Passover. If you were here last Wednesday for our uh, Passover-type service, Steve Schlesinger did an incredible job. And he taught us all about the Passover. But that is what's happening here. It's the Passover feast. And at that time, the population of Jerusalem would have swelled to, some historians believe, well over an, a million additional Jewish worshipers for that weekend. It'd be like Disney World on a holiday weekend. It'd be packed. And traditionally, customarily, Pilate, he would not be in the city. See, Pilate had this beautiful villa a little north of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean Sea in Caesarea Maritima. So Pilate spent much of his time outside of the city reclining on the sunny Mediterranean beaches. But with all of the influx of additional people coming into Jerusalem, Pilate leaves his villa and he comes to the Praetorium. The Praetorium is his residence while he is in town. And he's there to simply help keep the peace with all the additional people. Passover. It was the festival to celebrate the Jews' deliverance from their bondage of slavery in Egypt. And now here... The Jews celebrating their freedom from slavery in Egypt, they are now coming 
seemingly unknowingly oblivious to the fact that they are really enslaved, in a sense, by their Roman occupiers. So they're coming to Pilate for permission to execute Jesus. Pilate comes out to them. You see, they knew Pilate quite well, and Pilate knew them quite well. And the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus to be judged by Roman law. So Pilate asks, he says, what charge do you make against this man? What Roman law has Jesus broken? And if you're following in verse 30, they answered him. They said, if he were an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Their accusation, the charge that they are bringing against Jesus is simply this. He is an evildoer. That's their charge. And it was early in the morning. It was at sunrise that they are bringing Jesus to Pilate. And their hope was that it's being that it was so early in the day, so early in the morning, Pilate would just go along with their request, and it would be a simple kind of rubber stamping uh, of, their, of their desire to crucify Jesus, and they could move on with the execution. It's a lot like this. Often in the mornings, when I, when I wake up or when my wife and I wake up, and that first cup of coffee hasn't, like, kicked in yet, Sometimes our kids pick up on that. And I'm sorry, Reuben and Mary. We'll, we'll talk about this later. They're sitting over there. But a lot of times they pick up on when mom and dad haven't fully, like, woke up yet, that that's an opportune time to send all their requests and needs, like, in rapid fire, hoping that we'll just go along with it and say, yes, yeah, sure, whatever. Yes, you can have Reese's peanut butter cups for breakfast. Whatever. Leave me alone. And if you're a parent, maybe you can relate to that. But I, when I read this text, I often feel like that's kind of like what was happening to Pilate here. It's early. And right at the start, he's getting all these requests from the Jewish leaders. And they are simply hoping that Pilate would go along with their desire. But Pilate complicates things for them. Pilate makes it difficult for them. You see, Pilate gets more involved than they wanted him to be. Pilate begins to ask questions. And this frustrated the religious leaders because they knew that they did not have a charge that would hold up in a Roman court. His only crime, so to speak, that the religious leaders were bringing had to do with their own law, Jesus' claim to deity. And that was something that Rome was not going to get involved in. Rome was not going to meddle in the affairs of Jewish religion. Pilate had other things to worry about. So in verse 31, Pilate responds to their accusation of him being an evildoer. Pilate says, you take him and you judge him according to your own law. And you can almost sense the frustration from Pilate. He says, I don't want to deal with this. I should be at my villa on the Mediterranean, and here I am in this dirty city with you. The Jews quickly speak up. And they say, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. 
So Pilate thinks, so that's what this is all about. This is not about justice. This is not about anything substantial that this man has done. This is why you are involving me. Because you want this man, Jesus, put to death. And in verse 33, Pilate begins the secular trial of Jesus. Pilate goes back inside the praetorium and he calls for Jesus to come to him. And he begins to question Jesus, something the Jewish religious leaders were not expecting him to do. And Pilate is all alone now with Jesus. And you can almost picture the scene. Pilate is there dressed in his Roman official robes and chains and jewelry. The Roman governor. And before him is Jesus. Beaten and bloodied. And Pilate says to him, are you the king of the Jews? See, but the conversation doesn't go the way Pilate hoped it would. Because Jesus answers Pilate's question with a question of his own. Jesus says to Pilate in verse 34, Pilate, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Jesus is saying, Pilate, do you really want to know who I am? Or are you simply asking because someone else told you and you want to move on with your day? Pilate, do you personally really want to know who I am? Or are you just concerned about what I've done? And I think that that same question that Jesus asked Pilate is the same question that Jesus asks every single one of us today. Do you really want to know who Jesus is? Or are you just entertained by the miracles that he's done? Jesus desires today that you would know personally who he is, who he is, that he is the king. So Pilate then in verse 35, he deflects and he says, am I a Jew? He says, your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. Gee, what have you done? And Jesus simply answers him in verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. And I want you to think for a moment. Jesus, the King of heaven, had at his disposal legions of angels who at just a moment, the blink of an eye, could be there. But here, Jesus is all alone with Pilate. And heaven remained silent that day. The angels, you could almost picture in your mind's eye what heaven looked like. Just an audience looking down at this trial taking place between Pilate and Jesus. 
not able to intervene but desiring, not able to speak up but wanting, and there Pilate and Jesus are all alone together. Heaven stood still and remained silent while Jesus was under trial. And why would that be, we ask? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate quickly responds. He says, ah, you are a king then. And Jesus affirms it. Pilate, you are right in what you say. I am a king. And I was born a king, and I came into this world a king, so that I should bear witness to the truth. And apparently, Pilate felt no threat from Jesus. As Pilate, again, was there, Roman governor, he, was, he had legions of soldiers at his disposal. He had guards with sword and spear next to him. And Jesus, bloodied and bruised before him, Pilate felt no threat from Jesus' claim. So Pilate then goes back out, and he leaves the praetorium, and he confronts the Jewish leaders. He confronts Jesus' accusers, and he says, I have examined this man. I have put him on the witness stand. I have questioned him. I have interrogated him. And my verdict is this. I find no fault in him. And that is the conclusion of Pilate's trial. That is the verdict for the secular trial of Jesus. Pilate declares for all eternity, forever recorded, I find no fault in him. But we said earlier that Jesus endured two trials that day. One secular, one religious. And the secular trial, as we already said, the verdict is what? I, together, I find no fault in him. What is a trial? A trial is simply an examination. A trial is an examination, and we ask, why did heaven stand silent that day? Why, was, why were the angels quiet? Why did God the Father not intervene in that moment? It's because Jesus was under examination. That he would be examined by both the secular world under Pilate and by the religious world under Annas and Caiaphas. God allowed the trials to give both religious and secular the opportunity to examine Jesus and to, in some way, somehow disqualify him from his claim to be the Messiah, to give ample opportunity for all to find fault in him. But Pilate found none. This examination, this trial of Jesus is really foreshadowed all the way back in Exodus chapter 12. When God instituted the Passover, he said that each family, each family is to take a male lamb without spot, without blemish, and they are to separate that lamb from the flock for a, a period of time, tradition for four days, they are to separate that sacrificial lamb. And 
Customarily, they would, they would tie that lamb to the doorpost or put it near the entrance to their home. So that way for four days, as family members went in and out and in and out of the house, they would pass that lamb, giving ample opportunity for that lamb to be examined, to be inspected, to be tried, if there were any spot or blemish in him. And that's really what's happening with Jesus here. As he goes in and he goes out, as he goes before the religious leaders, as he goes before Pilate, as he goes before the Roman soldiers, as he goes before Herod, he goes in and he goes out, and God is giving the world ample opportunity to examine Jesus for spot or blemish. But none was found in him. The religious leaders, before going to Pilate, Jesus, after his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, was first taken to the religious leader Annas, where he was questioned about his teachings. And Jesus responded, have I spoken any evil, is Jesus' defense. And Annas stood silent at Jesus' question. And Annas's silence is his confession that he too finds no fault in Jesus. So Annas then sends Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest that year. And Matthew's gospel, verse chapter 26, records what happens there. Caiaphas begins the second round of religious examination. And with him this time are the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. And they sought to bring testimony against Jesus, to bring witnesses, to bear a false witness against Jesus. But they found no one to truthfully speak evil against him. So Caiaphas sends Jesus away. And in so doing, he is also declaring I what? Find no fault in him. Matthew's gospel later on sheds light on Judas. Now, if there was anyone who could find fault in Jesus, it was Judas. Judas had been there with Jesus for three and a half years. He had traveled with him. He had walked with him. He had seen Jesus do miracles. He'd heard him teach in public forums, and he had heard him counsel one-on-one. -on -one. If there was anyone who could say there's fault in Jesus, it was Judas. But what is, what is Judas's conclusion? What is his declaration? He says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And he returns the 30 pieces of silver. Judas would have done anything to find fault in Jesus, but he could not. And Judas adds to Pilate's testimony, to Annas's, to Caiaphas's, in saying, I find no fault in him. So then Jesus is sent to Herod. Herod's the, the Jewish king installed by the, the Roman government at that time. And Herod questioned Jesus 
and, and mocked him and wanted to be entertained by his miracles, put a purple robe around him. And at the end of Herod's questioning of Jesus, Herod could not find any fault. He just sends Jesus back. And in, in doing so, in sending Jesus back to Pilate without any claim, what is Herod also silently declaring? He also says, I find no fault in him. Then Jesus goes before the Roman soldiers. He was beaten. He was tied to a post. And he was flogged with 39 lashes by Roman soldiers. And the purpose of this flogging, of this whipping by the soldiers was they would do that to a criminal to extract a confession for the crime that they have committed. And as soon as the criminal or the accused would confess their crimes, the pain would stop, the flogging would stop, and it would all cease. But Jesus, tied to that post, remained silent for 39 lashes because he had no crime to confess. And the fact that the, the Roman soldiers followed through with all 39 is also their testimony. It is also their conclusion that they have beat Jesus, they have tried Jesus, and what have they found? There is no fault in him. There is nothing to confess. Frustrated and annoyed, the Jews declare in unison, the crowd gathered there before Pilate. They declare, they just, they just shout in one voice. What do they shout? Crucify him, crucify him. Never mind that no fault was found in him. We demand that he would be crucified. And they almost blackmail Pilate, saying, Pilate, if you don't do this, we'll tell Caesar you're not his friend. So they back Pilate into a corner. And Pilate gives in. He washes his hands. And he says, I will not be guilty of shedding innocent blood. I find no fault in him. Four separate times, Pilate declares that. And at the end, Pilate still gives in to the Jews' request, and Jesus is crucified without fault. And at the end of all of these examinations, the religious leaders, the secular leaders, they were all forced to say, in one way or another, we have examined Jesus, we have tried Jesus. We have sought to bring witness against Jesus. And at the end of our trials, we conclude, I what? Find no fault in him, the Lamb of God, without spot or blemish, sinless, given by God the Father, not to redeem us from Egypt, but to redeem us from the penalty of sin, the influence of sin, and friends, one day to set us free from the presence of sin itself. 
the Lamb of God, without spot or blemish, in whom no fault was found in him. 2,000 years ago today, Jesus willingly went to the cross and became for you and I and for the whole world the perfect sacrifice. The sacrificial lamb who paid the price for our sin. The Bible says, maybe you know the verse, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Right before that, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. There's not one of us here today watching online. There's not one of a person who has ever lived or will live who could stand the trials that Jesus withstood and be found in the same way that Jesus was found without fault. Every one of us have fault. Every one of us deserve the penalty that Jesus paid on our behalf. Jesus endured those trials that day so that you and I would not have to. Jesus wore the crown of thorns that day so that you and I may one day wear the crown of righteousness. Jesus was mocked and he was beaten that day that you and I would share in his, in the inheritance of his kingdom. Jesus endured the cross that day that you and I would be forgiven. And there from the cross, nailed to it, with arms spread out, Jesus looks upon those who put him there, and what does he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Friends, you and I today are forgiven by the finished work of Jesus Christ. He endured the trials so that we could be set free. He took our place so that we, he was beaten, he was broken, so that we could be made complete in him. And today, the death of Jesus makes the grace of God available to you and I. For the Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I say all that to say this. As we talked about the examinations and the trials that Jesus endured, that from Pilate to Annas to Caiaphas, to Judas, to the Roman soldiers. I want to add my voice to their conclusion. I have known and followed Jesus for over 25 years. I have known him in the good times. I have known him in the bad times. And I find no fault in him. And I want to invite you today 
to join the testimony of hundreds of millions of others who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that you would add your testimony to mine and to theirs and declare, I have examined him, I have followed him, and I find no fault in him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for enduring those trials. And Lord, we recognize in this moment that we'll never know this side of eternity the full extent of everything that you endured. But Lord, we celebrate today the conclusion of those trials that no fault is found in you, that you are who you say you are, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe today you've never, you've never looked at Jesus in this light. Maybe today you've been going to church for a, a, a long time, or, or maybe today's your first time. But you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Today is your day. It is your opportunity to join the testimony of many, to say, I find no fault in him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you sense the Holy Spirit prompting you, to, would you just raise your hand saying, today I want to give my life to Jesus. Just raise your hand. Online, there's a number on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. So Lord, we thank you that it is finished, that you have paid the price for our sins, that we are forgiven and set free both now and forever. And Lord, today we live in victory and we look forward to that great and glorious day where we are with you in your kingdom for all eternity. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Would you stand and worship the Lord? All the glory and the honor to 
remain standing a few more moments. When you walked in, you were given communion elements. We want to celebrate what he has done together. Communion is, is for those who have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it, it's for believers. And I just want to say, if, if, you, if you have not yet placed your faith in Christ, if you would just refrain for a few moments here from taking communion with us. And, but if you'd open up and take out the bread, the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He said to his disciples, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. His body was broken so that we could be made complete in him. Let's take the bread together. After the bread, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Every time you take this bread and drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death and burial and his coming. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. We take communion this Good Friday in remembrance of what he has done, in celebration and thanks of who he is and in anticipation of what he will do. So Lord, we take this cup, we take this juice, we take communion. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you for who you are, the Lamb of God, without spot, without blemish, in whom no fault is found. To you be the glory both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take. What he's done. What he's done. What he's done. All the glory the sun, my sins are forgiven, 
My future is heaven. I praise God for what He has done. Lift your voices. What He's done. What He's done. Give a hand for what the Lord has done. The Lamb of God, without spot or blemish, who takes away the sin of the world, that we together would join our testimony with Pilots and with countless others. And together, as a community of believers, we declare this Good Friday all in unison, I find no fault in Him. God bless you. We will see you this weekend. Because Friday's only good because Sunday's coming. Come on.